Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. My name is Jason, and I am the worship director here at Pathway Church. And before we begin, I just want to say thanks to Nathan and the rest of the squad for allowing me to share my story this morning. Um, I hope it serves as uh, as an encouragement for you. I hope it serves as uh, maybe a lesson. Whatever you're going through, maybe you can hopefully relate. Alan Rea, that was fantastic. Um, you guys, you have a gift, and uh, you use it well. And Al, I love hearing you sing, man. And uh, thanks for covering for me this morning. It was uh, You did a beautiful job. So... Where to begin? I've written a whole bunch of notes here. I've got 30 minutes, about 30 minutes, so I'm going to try to jump through this as best as I can. Um, when I was 17, I started a band called Hawk Nelson. When I was 19, we ended up touring the world, uh, mostly North America, but we got to see a lot of the world, and uh, it's a beautiful place we live in. And um, it was my dream. So in the first year of our band, we were touring quite frequently. I remember our record label and uh, management team, we just kind of were kind of trying to devise a game plan. I just remember saying, just put us on the road, do whatever you have to, so we don't ever have to go back home to work a real job. That was (laughs) 19-year-old Jason Dunn right there. And uh, they succeeded. They put us right to work, and we worked hard, really hard. And we became hustlers. We were always out there. Uh, the first year of our band, we played 280 shows in one year. The off days we spent in our van traveling to get to the next shows, and so on and so forth. So, to say the least, we were never home. And But that's what we wanted. That was the life that we had prepared and created for ourselves. It was glorious. It was absolutely glorious. Um, and then we got a call, or an invite to play a music showcase in Nashville, Tennessee, we were a punk rock band, so punk rock in Nashville just kind of seemed way different from what I anticipated, you know. Nashville to me was cowboy hats and cowboy boots and country music, and I just felt weird that we were going there. So we hustled. We got in our van and drove hours and hours and hours to get to this showcase. Showed up almost late because we drove all day and all night to get to this showcase. And I just remember loading in our gear in this little club called Third and Lindsley, and it's downtown Nashville. We loaded in our stuff to play, I think we played two songs for these music execs from all over the country, from L.A., from New York, from Nashville. Um, So they're all there, and we were watching all these other bands showing up, and I saw these guys uh, loading in, and they're tuning up their guitars, and they're sound checking, and... (laughs) These guys are unbelievable, and I'm just like watching these guys, and like, who are these guys? And then I found out all these guys are playing, were, uh, they played for an artist by the name of Keith Urban. Uh, Keith Urban, he's a pretty big uh, country act uh, based out of Nashville, so uh, 
Anyways, we heard that this was Keith Urban's band and doing a gig, doing this showcase. And we're just kind of like, okay, can someone tell me again why we drove all this way to embarrass ourselves? It was, it was just one of those moments, you know. And we never ever claimed to be an amazing band. People, uh, bands just like taking us on tour because we were those self-deprecating, easygoing, fun-loving Canadian boys that just had a desire to go out on the road and have a good time. That's why we got taken on the road. We didn't get taken out because we were a great band, and we lived off of that. That's how we, we thrived. Anyways, that being said, we showed up to this uh, showcase with these real musicians, and we're just kind of like, well, I guess we're going to get a good show tonight. We're going to enjoy some great tunes and play some pool or whatever. Anyways, we played our two songs, got off the stage, just kind of left it like, well, that was embarrassing. Well, we may as well just hang out and make a night of it. So that's exactly what we did. Other band showed up, set up, played their gig, hit the road. Other band, we went through like 12 different bands. And at the end of it all, the last band standing was us. We are the only band that stuck around. Mind you, we had nowhere to go, and we had a day off before the next show, so we were just hanging out, getting free meals. It was beautiful. Anyhow, while we were there, a man approached me. We started chatting. His name was Greg Sills. Greg beyond my knowledge, was a big-time music supervisor for a TV production company called NBC. I didn't know this at the time. I'm just talking to this cool guy named Greg. He came and talked to me. I thought he was just being a nice guy. So we started talking, and then after a while, he asked me, how would you guys like to be on a TV show? We got on a TV show. Greg, uh, Greg Sills got us a gig on NBC's American Dreams. Basically, it was American Bandstand, uh, Dick Clark, the reenactment, and uh, we got to portray The Who after NBC's American Dreams, uh, the film Yours, Mine, and Ours remake came out with Dennis Quaid and Rene Russo. It's on Netflix now, so if, uh, if you get a chance after the service, check it out, Yours, Mine, and Ours. After Yours, Mine, and Ours came out, that's when we got some serious... Um, I guess, recognition, and people from all angles, not just the Christian market, but from the mainstream market, people started kind of keeping their eye on us. We were kind of on everyone's radar, and uh, it was it was neat, it was exciting, but it was it was freaking me out, because there was a lot of pressure, you know. Uh, I, I was a kid that grew up in youth group, and that was it. Like So anyways, our success had just kind of gone from buying a van, to being in a show, to being in a movie, to next thing you know, we're selling hundreds of thousands of albums and getting national and international recognition across the globe. It was just a kind of a success I didn't think we'd ever attain. I always wanted to, but didn't think it would actually happen. And next thing you know, we're going, we're headlining tours and bands are paying money to go on tour with us. And it was like this revenue is coming in from all over the place. We didn't know what we were doing, you know, it was, it was, it was crazy. I was so focused on my career that I kind of forgot about the rest of my life and the rest of what, anything that was around. I kind of lost touch with family. I definitely didn't go to church. I definitely, you know, that was way in the back burner. I didn't think about it. Not that I did not believe, I just, I didn't have time. I was too busy. How many times have you said that one? I want to talk about a scripture that kind of plays a key factor in this time of my life. Um, and it's Matthew 16, verse 26, and it's just the first half. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but loses his soul? 
So there's often times I come home on a weekend, if I ever had a weekend off, and of course I'd be crashing in my parents' basement, and um, I'd end up going to church with my parents. And that's where the transition took place, where things started getting kind of, I don't want to say it, we're at church right now, but going to church, things got kind of weird for me. I started questioning my beliefs, and uh, I realized I wasn't really, I was just going to church as a kid because that's what I was taught to do. I read my Bible. Why? Because I was taught to do that. I went to a youth group. Why? Because I was told to. Once I was out of my parents' hedge of protection, don't you just love that? That was, how's that for Christianese lingo, the hedge of protection? I was out of my parents' protection. And uh, so no longer was I living under their rules. So suddenly the rules didn't seem to apply to me. And uh, so I'd start going to church with my parents. And I was like, this is too weird for me now. I don't know if I agree with this. These questions were, were starting to, to surface. And uh, it's okay to question things, you know what I mean? But then other questions started circulating in my mind. And like, well, why, why wasn't I allowed to drink alcohol? Why, why can't we swear? And as a kid growing up, I was always taught, you know, the fear of God was thrown on me day after day after day. If you do this, you know, God is watching you. Don't do that. Don't you dare swear. Oh, God's watching you. There was always this fear. But once I was out of that whole Christianese bubble, per se, I started thinking, that's probably not really reality. I'm not really going to go to hell for that. Did Jesus really not die for, for, for alcoholics and people that swear? Oh, he died for everyone but those two people. You know, so I, I started getting kind of uh, a little catty at that kind of stuff. And then I started diving into it a little bit, one beer at a time. After shows, I'd be like, we could have a beer. It's not a big deal. And then I'd start being, asking guys I'm on tour with, oh, why do you guys find it so wrong to drink? Is it really that big of a deal? You know, just the attitude was, it was off. You know, I had a bad attitude with the whole thing. You just kind of play by the rules because that's just that's all we know. Then you kind of grow away. And once you branch away, you're on your own. I guess I was never taught the consequences of my actions. I was always taught it was wrong, but I wasn't taught why it was wrong. One drink led to two drinks. Two drinks led to four drinks. Four drinks led to eight drinks. And uh, before you know it, I was polishing off about 12 beers a night before bed after every show. And uh, But it didn't even seem like a big deal. And just just to be clear, I am not uh, I'm not bashing alcohol. I'm not saying that if you if you drink alcohol, that is the devil's drink, and you should repent. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if you're dependent on alcohol, then it's a problem. And that was the case for me. I became so dependent on a drink that I couldn't function my regular life without drinking something. Things escalated pretty quickly from that point on. And it got to a point, at a certain point in my life where um, I would call it the breakfast of champions and I'd wake up and I'd have um, Deserano, which is a liqueur, and a Diet Dr. Pepper, and I'd have that for breakfast. I'd walk in with sunglasses to sound check, not because I was a rock star, but because I was fighting a hangover, and I'd show up to the venue with my sunglasses and my Dr. Pepper in my thermos, and I'd sound check on stage, getting ready to preach the gospel that night. And it became such a routine for me that 
it no longer seemed real. And I just became so used to just going through the motions. And uh, it put me in a really bad headspace. And um, kind of tapped out from the whole God thing, you know. It was it was an act for me, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure who follows much in the uh, Christian music industry these days, but a lot of friends, very close to me, some close, some not as close, have recently renounced their faith in uh, in God uh, in the last years, as far as the last few weeks, and it's it's devastating. But where they are today is where I was eight years ago. Where I was like, I don't know if this is actually true. I think it's okay to be vulnerable. And I'm going to be super vulnerable with you right now. This is a part of my life story that I'm not super comfortable with talking about. But um, we've, uh, for those of you who attend Pathway, we go back a few years now. And I think it's, I think it's healthy for you to know where I come from, where I've been, who I am, and where I'm going. Uh Instead of just like, oh yeah, I heard about this about this guy, I, I don't know. So I'm just going to piece it all together today and hopefully uh, make some sense of it all. So while we were touring, I was at the mature age of 26. I had three weeks off that year and I thought, hey, I've got a great idea. I'm going to get married. Seemed like a great idea at the time. Anyhow, one drunken night, things were said that... Uh, couldn't be undone. Um, words are a very, very powerful thing. And make sure your words are sweet, people, because you never know when you're going to have to eat them. And uh, we both said some things that were could not be taken back. So uh, the next morning, when all was said and done, we woke up and we're like, we need to talk about what was said. And uh, yeah, sorry doesn't cut it. You know, like, we've got to get to the core. There's, there's obviously issues that have surfaced and... Uh, needed to be talked about, so I didn't want anyone to know, that's for sure. Um, I wanted people to know, but I didn't want people to know. I needed I needed to confide in anybody that could kind of at least hear, hear me, um, but I didn't have anyone, and it really, really messed me up. I kind of kept up with my mom and dad quite a bit, but I was like, it's one of those things you're like, I don't know if I need to bring that up in a phone conversation, but... At this point in my life, I was like, yeah, this definitely needs to happen. I need to, to let them know what's up, you know? So couldn't, uh, couldn't do it over the phone. Just, it just kind of didn't really seem appropriate, per se. So what I did is I booked a flight home. I'm like, Mom, I'm coming home. Can you, when you pick me up from the airport? My mom doesn't drive, so I was like, can you pick me up from the airport? Can you get Daddy to pick me up from the airport? Kind of felt like a 14-year-old again. So, anyways, whoever it was picked me up, and uh, I was just sweating bullets. I'm like, okay, what do I say? How do I bring this up? Hey, guys, great to see you. I'm getting divorced. Like, oh, it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't roll off the tongue. So I, I only came home for I think two days and didn't, didn't do it. I chickened out and went back to New York. I was like, ah, I gotta do it again. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do it. So how do I do this? Went back out a second time. Flew out to Toronto. Got picked up again. And being an idiot, I forgot that this was January. This was like, this is birthday central in my family. My mom's birthday, my uncle's birthday, a couple of my brother's birthdays. You know, the dog's birthday. Everyone had a birthday in January. And of course, 
I'm not going to bring it up during that. That's ridiculous. That's ludicrous. So, being the wise man I am, I didn't bring it up to them. And, uh, <laughs> Lou Mackle, happy birthday, Mom. Love you. Going to go back to New York now. So, flew to New Jersey, took the train to Penn Station, cabbed it from Penn Station to my apartment on West 49th Street, right in Hell's Kitchen. And, uh, Instead of going home, this is like what I like to call a pivotal moment. Instead of going home to my empty apartment, I decided to stop in to pay my dear friend Johnny a visit. Johnny Kerr was my bartender, and I had a bar. There was a bar. It was about 75 steps from my apartment in New York. I would just hang out there every night. Yeah, I spent probably way too much time there, but it was kind of my home away from home, and I just felt comfortable there. I'd go there with my buddies, we'd play darts, and uh, just have a great time, watch a baseball game, whatever we had to do. This night in particular, my pivotal moment, I thought I'd just stop in, get a burger, say hi to Johnny, and then call it a night. I was pretty tired. While I was sitting there, Johnny said, Jason, I want you to meet somebody. All right. This is our new bartender. It's your first day. Her name is Neve. Hey, Neve, how's it going? No, Neve. Oh, what is it? Hey, I'm, I'm Neve. It was the Irish accent. She got me, and I was like, hey, good to meet you. And I was just, that was it. Hey, nice to meet you. Marriage has failed, so I was just obviously not, <laughs> definitely not pursuing anything, but I just, you know, I took note that there was an attractive girl at the bar. That was great. That was it. I'd blown all my money in New York. Everything I sold my business for, I just sold it, spent it all. Much like the prodigal son, I had nothing to my name. So I just grabbed my dog, my acoustic guitar, my suitcase of clothes, and my pickup truck, and I drove back to Peter And I'm, it sounds like a country music song, I know. That's National rubbing off on right there. But that was it. I showed up at my parents' place. My mom's, I was like, what's going on? And that's where the floodgates opened up. <laughs> it's just, it's over. And after all that time, I'm telling my mom, like, I tried to come home like three different times to tell you I'm, I'm getting divorced. I'm like, my marriage is over. This is what my mom's response was. We know, honey. I was like, how did, my mom seems to know everything, right? You just, your, your parents are probably the same, or we're the same. Just, they always know what's going on. Someone's like, we know, honey. And my dad's like, call that one. I'm like, thanks, Dad. But it was uh, it was very strange, but very uh, it was it was a relief, and it was something I really, really needed to, to vent. And uh, I was very happy I could confide in my parents about that, and that made it way easier telling close friends later. Shortly after that, I took a job here in Peterborough at a hardware store. And uh, it was <laughs> it was very weird. I just remember trying to make a resume because I've never made a resume in my life. So I walked into this hardware store and I gave it to the manager. Hey, like, can can you look at this? Can I get a job? I don't, I don't even know how to do this. And he looks at it and I'll <laughs> remember this as clear as day. He's looking over my five-worded resume. He's like. So you sing in a band, huh? Interesting. <laughs> that, was, that was it. That's all they said. I'm like, 
yeah, I was like, hey, I'm like, I just, I'm getting divorced. I'm like, I have no job. I'm trying to figure out, I'm living in my parents' basement right now. I have nothing. I, I just, I need to get like an apartment. I need to, I need to get in my parents' basement. Just give me anything. Like, I'm willing to learn. I, I have no skills whatsoever. I can play guitar and I can sing. That's literally the only skills I have in this life. So I'm, I just want to learn how to do anything. And uh, so he gave me a chance, and he hired me. He's like, do you have, heart, do you have uh, steel toe boots? I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't have anything. I literally don't have anything, John. So I started a, a few days later. My mom took me to Walmart and bought me a pair of boots, and uh, <laughs> that was that. Well, I started working. The like, first or second day, I got a text from that cute blonde bartender in New York City. Hey, how's Canada? Good. How are you guys doing? How's, how's Malloy? You know, I'm not good at small talk, you know, and it kind of felt weird, you know, like, anyway, she's like, hey, uh, me and Aoife Kay, we're going to, and my sister, we're, we're planning a camping trip to the Canadian border. You should come join us, LOL. And I was like, that's kind of weird, like. I'm like, am I reading into this? I'm like, no, that's super arrogant. So she's obviously, that's not it. So I'm like, oh, that'd be kind of fun. I already hate my new job. I may as well get a, get a break, you know? So I, I left and I met them in Lake Placid, New York. And uh, so I met this girl, Neve, really for the first real time. She was, that's the first time I met her outside of the bar. She wasn't working. So I, I didn't even know what to talk about. We couldn't talk about the weather. About that sunshine, huh? Cool. So, anyways, me being the the gentleman, I volunteered to drive the three girls um, back to New York City from Lake Placid. Just four and a half hours, no big deal. I'm, I'm a good guy. Plus, I like the city, so I like to get back there and see it. So, I drove the girls back home. Then and there, I asked me on a date. I, we went out to a we went out to an Irish pub in. Uh, up in the Bronx called Roar Dolan's and uh, that was our technically our first date and uh, it was great we just kind of talked about all sorts of stuff and not really first date uh, questions that I would recommend but I asked her what do you look for in a man actually I think I said what do you look for in a husband because I was curious I was like how many kids do you want <laughs> you know I'm Jason, by the way. How many kids do you want? Do you want children? Would you ever live in Canada? Do you find me attractive? You know, like, you don't. I wasn't, I was off to a raging start. So, um, my mom kind of caught wind about me. She's always chatting on the phone to this Irish lass. She's like, who's this, who's this girl, the Irish accent you've been talking to on the phone? So, I was like, oh, her name's Neve. She's like, Leave? Like, no, no. Here we go. Neve. It's like Steve, but Neve. My dad's like, you're dating Steve? Like, no, dad. Just, just. Go sit down. I'll talk to you in a minute. Um, so, <laughs> um, my mom said, oh, when are we going to meet her? You know, the classic awkward. Like, oh, great. I have to go through all this again. Like, I thought I was done with this. So, um, Neve ended up showing up around Easter time to meet my parents and meet my family and just talk about a weird, oh, I'm just, again, I'm so glad. Thank you, Jesus. That's over. We're, here we are. Uh, so anyways, uh, my mom, being my mom, if you know Pam Dunn, you know Pam Dunn. You can just picture where this story's going. So instead of asking me, she asked my new girl, Neve, 
hey, you guys should come to a, we're going to a church production um, on Easter on the Good Friday. It's called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. You'd love it. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, like, I know exactly this skit she's talking about. And he's like, oh yeah, that'd be great. The new girlfriend's not going to say no to your parents when he asks you to go somewhere. So guess what? We went to a church in town with my mom and dad to Hell's Gates and Heaven's Flames. No, Heaven's Gates, Hell's... Yeah, Heaven's... You know where I'm going. Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Hell's Gates, Heaven's Flames? I don't know. It doesn't matter. We went to this We went to this production. Production. We showed up a little bit late, because that's what we do. We just... We're late. We have three kids, so now we have an excuse. Then we just... Kind of, I was just kind of battling with the I didn't want to go. I'm just trying to talk right of it, but, you, you know. We showed up, and uh, the youngest person in the uh, in the auditorium that morning was probably a 45, 45 to 47 years old. That was kind of the uh, the youngest of the age group there. So we walked in to find my parents, me with a half sleeve of tattoos. Um also the only people not wearing like a dress shirt and I think I was wearing shorts even so that was sticking out like a sore thumb and of course my mom and dad are sitting like the second row at the very front so we had to walk right down the middle aisle everyone just kind of like who are these sinners walking into the uh, church in shorts oh sat down and of course my mom and dad are on the end seat they didn't move over for us they just we had to climb over them. Sorry, 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 Dad. Excuse me. Sorry, it's coming through. Thanks. Sat down. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi. Sorry. Sorry, we're late, everyone. The the judgmental eyes just on the background. Again, remember, I'm at this phase in my life where I'm just just cynical. Everything is just, I'm just, this is... Being in a church was the last place I wanted to be on a Friday. Um, so anyways, we sat down for this however long a production was, hour and a half, it seemed like an eternity, no pun intended, but uh, we <laughs> we sat through that whole thing, and I'm just like, being a, uh, I'm a perfectionist when it comes to production and like musical and stuff like that, I, I don't get into it, I'm just watching, if I go to visit a church, I'm not worshipping, I'm like, sussing out the band, and like, ooh, they're rushing, ugh, you know, I, I can't shake it. It's been part of me since I was 12 years old, and it's I can't I can't fix it. I can't change it. It sucks. I hate it. But anyways, I'm just watching this production like this is so cringy. Like you know, they show the guy drinking and driving, crashes and goes to hell. You know, shows like, I don't remember all the all the different scenarios, but it was really, really it was for one it was done poorly. A lot of, you know, vocal off, like the mics weren't working properly, things weren't really done up the spec in my mind, you know, being a professional, again, I use that term loosely, but I, I was just, I was just like, man, this, this, this is embarrassing, I, I'm gonna get dumped today, she's, she's gonna, I'm gonna drive her to the airport, and she's gonna be like, see ya, nice knowing ya, that was too weird. So, here we go, I've been very blessed and very uh, fortunate to be able to share this story I'm going to say probably close to 30 times and I've yet to get through this part of the story with a dry eye so bear with me please um, after all was said and done after this performance was finished 
the pastor marched up to the stage and I was like, okay. He said, okay guys, like, you know, this is what we learned about today. You know, if, if you're not right with God, today's the day and so on. Everywhere, everywhere you know, the classic uh, Christian lingo, every head bowed and every eye closed. That's right. And I knew that. I grew up with that. So I, out of respect, I put my head down. I'll be honest, I did the little, I did the look around, did the peek to see if anyone, you know, see how many hands you got. I'm like, okay. So anyways, while our heads were down like this, I'm just waiting for He's like, and now if you want to make that decision for Jesus, if you want to make that decision today and turn your life around, I want wherever you're sitting right now to raise your hand. So I had my head down. And while my head was down, I felt this little nudge in the side of my chest. And it was my girlfriend. She's like, will you go to the front with me? I told you I can't get through it. It's impossible. <laughs> it's just so good. Um, and in that moment, here's another Christian lingo, Christianese word for you. The word transformation. I looked it up on the dictionary this morning. And uh, transformation is the act or process of transforming, obviously. The state of being transformed. Or I love this one, the third one. This is it right here. A change in form, appearance, nature, or character. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened to me. The minute she asked me to go to the front with her, my entire perspective on that crappy performance changed. It was the most amazing performance ever. I didn't care about the broken mics or the, the line the angel messed up. So I stood up and I marched that front with her. And of course, <laughs> stepped over my mom and dad. I think my dad actually got out this time. Thanks, dad. And uh, we marched in the front. I don't even know how many people were in the front. Maybe no one. I don't even know. And I just marched up there with her. And I stood there with her beside her. And I was just like, that's so cool. Like, everything changed in my mind. And... Uh, Suddenly, they said, repeat after me, God. And we're like, God, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. And uh, in that moment, as we recited that prayer, word for word to what the pastor said, something in my mind clicked just like that. I wasn't praying that prayer for her. I was praying that prayer for me. <laughs> and I knew in that moment I was a changed man. Our lives in an instant were changed. And uh, we left that church just on fire for God. We drove straight to chapter. We bought new Bibles. We bought devotionals. We bought everything we could find in that bookstore that we could read up on and stay connected and get tuned into God. And uh, that's coming from a guy that grew up in the church. And uh, I grew up knowing that if you do this, this, and this, God's going to strike you down. That's what I grew up in. But that's not the God I'm serving today. That God that met me where I was at that church was a God of grace and a God of mercy. <laughs> and no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're going, if you feel like God is not watching you or you've just given up or abandoned your faith, don't do it because it's it's not worth it. This is truly standing before you today. I am living proof that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, 
he's never left us and he's right there just waiting for you with his arms open wide begging for you to come back and uh, it was just uh, the most amazing experience of my life and uh, uh, in closing I just one of my very last it was the second last tour I was on with Hawk Nelson um, as we were in a backstage the guy playing before us was a gentleman a fellow Canadian by the name of Matt Marr and uh he always closed off his set uh, with one of these songs called Lord I Need You. And uh, they said, whenever you hear that song, that's when I had to get my, my in-ears in and my pack on getting ready to get to be the next band to go on. So we had to be ready to go on stage. So as soon as I could hear the cue of that band striking up that song, I was getting ready to go backstage so he could finish up and then he get off, we go on. So on and so forth. That song has never left my heart now, and I completely get it now. That song, that song makes so much sense to me today. Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. How true is that? And uh, that's that is my life song right now. And uh, I actually asked Al and Rhea to to close with this one because just to tie it all in. And uh, I just would like to pray before we uh, before we proceed and. Father God, I just right now want to thank you for your son Jesus and your gift of salvation. So God, no matter where we're at, we're all at different areas in our life. And uh, no matter where we are this morning, God, I just ask you to meet us each where we're at and just be with us. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your understanding. And as we proceed today, when we just kind of walk with you in the driver's seat now. We love you, God. In your precious name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.